Hey, this is Third Party Threat Hunters episode. Here we have Adam Shostak on this episode. Adam is the author of Adam is the author of Threat Modeling. I'm waving wave you back. Uh, does, threat Modeling, Designing for Security and Threats, What Every Engineer Should Learn from Star Wars. He's a, a leading expert in threat modeling. He also helped create the CBE, which to me is uh, is is a, a, a ring dinger right there. Uh, uh, He's created Elevation for the Elevation for Privilege Threat Modeling Guide, co-author of the New School of Information Security. We've had a brief chat before the uh, uh, podcast recording, and, and I'm excited to, to expand a little bit more on that, as well as share some of that knowledge uh, with the listeners. Uh, Adam, you want to just kind of start off with uh, anything else you want to add about your background, or just what what else you you uh, is a uh, uh, hot topic for you today? You know, it's great to be here with you. And I think the thing that I'm excited about right now that I've been working on is we just finished the first ever workshop on cyber public health. And it's the I oh, great. the the big motivating question for me is how are we doing at this cybersecurity stuff? And measuring populations is at the heart of real public health. And so we're looking into the question of how can we measure populations in cyberspace and assess how they're doing. And, and you mentioned, I think it was a great way to do the analogy was the analogy between how we analyze the public health uh, uh, measurements, right? And and uh, the analysis we do, we we never really take a very good look back to see, for example, uh, you gave the CSA, uh, was it a CSA or was it CISA? I think it was CISA, actually. Uh, CISA, yeah. and, and their efforts. And we're going to look back in 2024 and, and see, was, was it effective? I'll, I'll let you expand from there, Adam. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so... We we have things like CISA's Secure by Design Initiative or the National Cybersecurity Strategy. And and you know, one of one of the side effects of having been around long enough to have helped create the CVE is I get to watch the trends happen in our industry. And you've been around for, for a few years as well. And and we get to this question of are we doing better? And I think one of the, for me, better means people can go about their lives, live their lives without getting locked out of their accounts or having to spend an afternoon convincing someone to let them back into their account. Businesses are in the business of business instead of in the business of talking to Eastern European mafiosi. Um. And and I'd love to be able to measure that better so that we can say, yep, this stuff we're doing is helping. Right. That's excellent. Yeah, and, and, uh, and the analogy is, is, is perfect there. Again, we, we there, there's been a, one of my favorite books of all time, and I, I, I don't get a kickback on this, is how to measure anything in cybersecurity risk, right? The, 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 it sort of dissuades the fallacy that, that, that there's no, you can only do uh, qualitative analysis in cyber, that there's not enough data in, in, in a cybersecurity space to do a quantitative analysis. And it, it, this seems a bit of that vein, right? That, that we, we don't do a great job. We think, well, it's high risk. Compared to what, right? Um, in this case, you're talking about we 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 have it. We have a tendency not to look back and see how how did our 
how did our efforts or models or whatever affect actual uh, reality? And what do we need to do then? I think what your outcome from that also is, what changes do we need to make in some of those those models or uh, or strategies to get a, a better outcome in future years, right? And, and and you know that that ability to baseline, you know, we were talking about what you do in terms of third party risk. If if we have a third party risk management program, let's say we're managing a hundred vendors. How many breaches should we expect in 2024? I would love for us That's a to have ask, data. Isn't it? Right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I was just going to say that's a sobering ask, but I think it's a it's a it's a statistic well worth trying to find out because, to your point, if if we can have a predictable model about if you've got a hundred vendors and and there's a a five percent probability of a one million dollar breach uh, annually. Again, I'm just throwing numbers out. You can mm-hmm. then you can start to make uh, risk management decisions about to, to reduce it, transfer it, mitigate it, whatever it is that you we would do as risk professionals. Because in the end, whether you're a threat model or a, a cyber person, a third party risk pr- practitioner, you're all we're all risk professionals. We're, we're identifying risk and trying to figure out how ways to to, to lower it. Right. And, you know, even before we get to lowering it, I'd love to be able to ask, is my company's risk profile in line with averages, right? Maybe, maybe we've spent enough on risk management. I, I know it's not the thing anyone wants to hear about their budget, but... Maybe we've spent enough (laughs) and we're actually doing better than the typical company. And the reason I think that the idea of a public health model is potentially transformational is because it gives us the opportunity to contextualize in a way that we don't have today. Yeah, no, that's I, I'm eager. I mean, especially since some of the work that you've done earlier, like for example, uh, the CVE, it, it produced such a profound changing. You know, the ability for folks to make actionable and uh, uh, take action from that stuff. Uh, I'm eager to see the outcome of that cyber public health model because it, it would produce, in my mind, then the ability for us to make better decisions. Right you, to your point, I mean, you could then decide if if you if you've done more than you need, you could then readjust your risk appetite. Right, you you can start to make decisions to 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 put resources on other things where you're going to get a bigger bigger bang for your buck, right? Or or more output. You don't need to do more work. And in other cases where you realize, gee, I, I have more to do, then you can make decisions that that again impact that particular third party risk uh, or whatever risk you're trying to to, to lower. Um, you also mentioned LLM, the, the language learning models. Um, if I had the the acronym correct, again, there's a lot of footprints. So if, if I didn't go there uh, uh, for threat modeling, I really would like to understand that because that that is a you know, as we do third party risk, 
um, you know, I, I, I focus primarily on cyber, the cyber risk, although I, I certainly talk about others. There are other risk domains, right? And one of those is uh, AI and, 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 and learning models and models, models in general, right? Have become a, a, a big topic of discussion in third party risk. So I, I'd like you to, I'd like to, if you could uh, just expand a little bit for the audience on that LLM for, for third threat modeling, uh, uh, p- please. Sure. Let, let me start out um, with what threat modeling is and then go into how LLMs play in that. Because I think that, you know, Appreciate one that. of the things that I discover is some people even get threat hunting and threat modeling overlapped. I don't know why, just because they start with the same first word. Um, but when I say threat modeling, I mean a set of activities, a family of activities that answer four very simple questions, which are, what are we working on? What can go wrong? What are we going to do about it? Did we do a good job? And we have techniques like data flow diagrams and stride. Data flow diagrams help us think about what are we working on? Stride and kill chains help us think about what can go wrong, etc. When I think about using LLMs to answer these, and by LLMs, I mean chatbots like ChatGPT or um, Google Bard, what have you, um, you can ask these things questions and they give you answers of varying quality. And, you know, last quarter, I teach at the University of Washington and I was teaching a course on security engineering. and I've been hearing all of these news stories in which people tell me, um, which people are telling these radio personalities, what have you, that students are using LLMs to cheat on their homework. Okay. Seems feasible. <laughs> so, so I asked various LLMs to do all of my assignments. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that University of Washington students still do better than LLMs on my homework. Um, but it got me <laughs> really interested in the question of how do we make these things work for us? What does that mean? Because some people are a little intimidated by the question of what can go wrong. And they shouldn't be, right? Everyone has an opinion about what can go wrong, but people do get intimidated by the question. And so I started asking an LLM, given a system description like this, what can go wrong? And I think it's got some fascinating possibilities in helping us scale, helping us potentially be more consistent if we're always asking the same questions in the same way. And we all know that these things sometimes, well, okay. These things only ever make things up. They don't actually know anything, but much of the time what they make up is plausible. And sometimes it's even right. And sometimes it's plausible and it's wrong. <laughs> and I think that goes, okay. that, that really hits on the question of did, how do we decide if we did a good job? Because if these things are right. making things up, 
and giving us plausible sounding answers, then maybe I'm trying to evaluate an answer in a field that I'm not very comfortable in. And so for me, that's a really, it's a really thought provoking intellectual question of how can we use these things to help people get their jobs done in safer ways? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I if if I may, uh, uh, what I what I think I'm taking away is as a as a uh, a, a novice threat modeler myself, um, and, and I, I use that term explicitly, is it, it an LLM could be helpful um, as ways to give you alternate ideas about uh, what could go wrong. Right. It, sometimes it might get you a really harebrained answer, but um, but we. By the way, humans will come up with harebrained answers too. So, so that's I think part of the purpose of is I've done threat modeling. You come up with what could go wrong, and you start crossing that ones. Just okay, these are great ones. Uh, the the fact that a bear is going to come in and maul you is probably not. It, it's a it's a it's a possibility, but the probability is pretty pretty slim. So let's cross that one off, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, as an example, right? So it, it, does that make sense, Adam? Am I am I following you correctly? Um, absolutely, absolutely, yes. And and I wanna um, I wanna mention uh, there. Oh oh, please go ahead. Please, just quickly. Yes, the probability that a bear is going to come in and maul you is pretty low. And I really want to encourage people to to be open to use the improv comedy. Yes, and instead of let's cross that one off too quickly, because when we cross <laughs> things off quickly. We discourage people from bringing up new ideas. And so anyway, with uh, that, right. go ahead. That's an excellent point, Adam. Excellent point. No, no, that's an excellent point, Adam. You're right. It, you, you, uh, I, I do remember that in some of the threat modeling training I, I got in years past was was you, um, was you don't you don't want to be you don't want to discourage people from shouting the ideas out. Like you said, it's it should be a free flow of ideas. That that way you get the most out of the threat modeling exercise. Speaking of which. Um, I'd like to use a bit of the time to uh, help educate the viewers on uh, potentially how they could do threat modeling for, for third-party risk. Or, And I think you had the back-of-the-envelope kind of analogy that we were going to perhaps kind of dive down. Did, did you want to just walk through some of that or uh, ways that I can help you with that? Uh, let's, uh, we're sure. gonna, by the way, audience, this is not pre-planned. We're, we're, we're going to do this on the fly, so forgive us. So, so it's slightly pre-planned because I did grab an envelope and I scribbled a couple of things, yeah. literally, on the back of an envelope okay. for you. And you can threat model with diagrams Excellent. like this. And hopefully this is going to come through. You know, it's got us and it's got them. And we're sending customer SSNs over to them. Right. Or we're sending employee SSNs over to them if they're an employee management company. Or I drew a second little diagram, you know, and it's got us and we send our blueprints to them and they send our widgets to the customers. And mm -hmm. right. I, I mean, literally, I did these in 15 seconds as we were doing our prep conversation. The value in doing something like this in your third-party risk management is I don't need to go particularly deep into do they have 
a vulnerability in log4j over in them. I mean, they probably do, but who cares? What, <laughs> what matters from the third-party risk management perspective is we're sending social security numbers over there. We should think about what can go wrong. They could leak those social security numbers. We should go deeper. Or we're sending our blueprints over to them. They could steal those blueprints. They could do a midnight run and make extra product. Um, they could reverse engineer those blueprints and figure yep. out how we build things. I, I, the key, Excellent. The, the key thing that I want to show you with the literal back of an envelope here, right? You can even see I ripped this envelope open. It's not a fake envelope. Um, is you don't need <laughs> to be fancy to start to get value from threat right. modeling in a third-party situation. The other thing I want to say... Yeah. Well, and uh, that's what, by the way, I mean, there are two... Oh, please, continue, Adam, please. Uh, sorry, we, we got just a little bit of lag here. It's okay. But the, the other thing I want to say is if you really try and force them to tell you all the stuff they're doing inside here, they get pretty persnickety about these are our trade secrets and this is expensive and why are you asking us this? And you don't need all of those answers to assess the fundamental risk that you're facing. Thank you. No, that's a great point, Adam. I apologize if it's laggy over on your side. Hopefully that doesn't uh, play out on the actual podcast. It could be a result of just uh, of the of the software itself trying to compile uh, our two 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 uh, faces together and voices. But um, I, I like the first of all, um, you get the uh, first award for using a prop on the uh, on the podcast, so that's great, um, uh, and I love it. The, the literally the back of the, the envelope is is literally been used, and I, I, I that's what I always liked about uh, uh, threat modeling um, when we practiced it at the days at Cisco and, and others was was you, you didn't have to have a PhD and you didn't have to have a complex piece of software. They exist. And if you want to avail of those, they do exist. But, but it can be done with a whiteboard and, and, a, and a, a, think, a couple of thinking caps on and, and, and just a knowledge of the process. Uh, and the process, you said, it isn't, it isn't overly complex. It's fairly straightforward and, and, and easy to follow. Um, I encourage folks to go look at Adam's website. He's got a, a great uh, set of tools himself. Things that he's done, um, software, uh, uh, archive content, a lot of great things that you could learn off of just Adam's website alone. Uh, Adam, I, I really appreciate the time. I wish we could do longer, but it's um, it, it is a, it, it isn't an hour show. So so uh, and frankly, users probably don't listen to that long, but uh, I would. So I appreciate the time, Adam. And, and again, um, uh, thanks for uh, being a, a guest. Any last words? I just want to echo what you said. It doesn't have to be complicated. A little bit of thinking and open-ended curiosity can take you very, very far. Excellent. Well said. Uh, thanks. I'm. I'm gonna. We're gonna end the podcast, but I hope uh, users uh, stay tuned for the next one and uh, listen. To this one we learned. I learned a lot. I know that, and I hope that you did as well. Thanks. Thanks, Adam, for being a guest.